0: Hi, Hannah here. Welcome to the latest edition of the Standard Issue podcast. I'm here in my high-tech studio, which is, as you probably know, just under my duvet. Both the cats are in here. It's currently incredibly hot, so I'm going to fly through this before someone coughs up a furball. And at this stage, it could literally be any of the three of us. This show is a live recording of an event that took place just a few weeks ago in December at the Leicester Square Theatre in London. We had some terrific guests. Saran Jones, Stephanie Beecham, Jojo Moyes, Deborah Francis White and then Sarah and myself. We were all on stage and we had an absolute ball. We talked about all kinds of things, um, getting dry mouthed in front of the royals, being sacked by John McEnroe, first dates, disasters at Nativity Plays and also how we should all be a lot more like Stephanie Beecham um, and if you listen, you'll learn why. Enjoy!
1: Welcome to the Standard Issue Podcast. (laughs) Should we start by introducing ourselves? Yeah, why not? uh, Name and job and a random fact about yourself. Hannah, do you want to start?
0: Yeah, I am running out of random facts about myself. (laughs) Have you done too many? I have. In fact, I can use the one that was on this week's podcast, which if you haven't heard it, you won't know, which is... uh, I say I'm Hannah Dunleavy. I'm one of the writers, presenters, producers of the Standard (laughs) Issue Podcast. And I was once forced to be, where, to be Mary against my will in a nativity play.
1: How, how old were you?
0: I'd say about six.
1: And they forced you? Yeah,
0: I think it was the perils of being a relatively confident child that they thought, <laughs> she'd be all right, she'd do it. And Did no matter how, how many times they saying I didn't want to do it, they made me do it.
1: Did you have any lines?
0: No, I just sat there like this.
1: Because <laughs> I was Mary when I was five and I didn't have any lines and I had to sit on a chair because Joseph was a short ass. <laughs> and they said Mary made Joseph look bad. You played Mary? Oh. I played Mary.
2: Oh, you lucky thing. I wanted to play Mary. I was Chanticleer the Cock. There isn't even a Chanticleer <laughs> the Cock. And I had this terrible balaclava with a really dodgy, whatever you call it, that my mother had made. You know, it fell over.
3: <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Were you like a
2: rooster, Stephanie? Like a rooster.
4: <laughs> Not, an Not a very rooster. good
2: rooster. <laughs> no, I didn't even know there was a rooster in the nativity. I don't think there is, but I think there were more folk than
0: parts.
2: Yes. I always wanted
1: to be the angel Gabriel because she got to go up a ladder. Oh. <laughs> that was all I really wanted was to go up a ladder. Re- <laughs> Recently,
0: my nephew played a dinosaur in the nativity. Exactly, play, yeah. which I thought was <laughs> absolutely insane. <laughs> my brother was really delighted. He was like, "There he was." Proving that theory wrong, standing in the uh, back,
3: dressed yeah. as a dinosaur. My nephew, my nephew was a sorcerer in his nativity. Sorcerer. So,
1: yeah. My See? sister came back from, uh, from when they did the casting, when she was little, and she told my mum and dad that she was Frankenstein. And they said, what kind of nativity? And she said, you know, gold, Frankenstein and Merck. That's <laughs> quite
2: adorable.
1: Um, let's continue
3: along the line. So, uh, introduce yourself and your job. And uh, what? Uh, random fact, please. Saran sir. Jones, actress. Um, random fact today me and my husband we're clearing out a cupboard in our house that smells of cannabis but I don't smoke weed and neither does my husband and neither does my two-year-old <laughs> <laughs> and we couldn't find <laughs> out uh, thank you um but it smells like well it's an off smell and then we went like kind of like smells of weed so we took everything out of the cupboard and um, there's nothing in there. So we wondered whether, you know, like the people who were in the house before have left a little present or something. But no, there's nothing there. So now we've put a lavender-soaked sponge, duck, duck-shaped sponge in there to make it smell nicer. So C- then it'll smell a Then roll it up and smoke it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, now we're just going to smell of old ladies. <laughs> <laughs> could could you not just have left us. the cannabis smell and opened the door whenever you were feeling like you needed yes, to exactly, chill out? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> But it was really like, you know, it, it, was, it was, yeah, it was heady.
0: I had a similar thing with my airing cupboard and it turned out my neighbours were growing stuff in their loft. So it could be next door? It could be next door, if Ooh. you've got an jo- adjoining wall.
5: Well, this is the, this is to like, be continued. This is, this is like the first episode of Breaking Bad, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Breaking I mean, think the bad most the exciting neighbors. thing that's
3: happened to us all week <laughs> is. George,
4: uh, uh, quite jo jo. excited about your cupboard? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm Jojo Moyes. I'm a writer. And um, I had completely forgotten this random fact until you asked for one. But when I was 14, I was a ball girl at Queen's, and I was so bad that John McEnroe asked for me to be taken off the court. <gasps> oh! <laughs> I think I buried that deep in my (laughs) psyche. But you used to have to hold your hand up and I could never work out because I didn't understand the rules of tennis when I was meant to hold my (laughs) hand up. So I just kept putting them up and he said he found it really distracting.
5: (laughs) So I was taken up. (laughs) That's a great fact. (laughs) Deborah? Uh, I'm Deborah Francis-White. I'm a comedian. um, And... um, (laughs) Thank you, that's terribly kind. Uh, And my random fact is uh, that the first time I ever performed on a stage was this time of year. It was my kindergarten, end-of-year show. And uh, it was sort of more pantoy than Christmas Nativity. And I played a horse, and we'd rehearsed it very carefully. It was like a little prancy dance. I was only three. We all had to do a prancy dance, and I remember it incredibly clearly that we did this dance, and then all the other little girls danced off. And I just remember thinking... Well, this audience is not done with this dance. (laughs) They are enjoying it. They were all clapping and cheering and laughing. So I just danced on. And the audience laughed more, so I danced more. And the audience cheered more, and I danced more until the teacher had to come and lead me away. And that's how you became a
1: comedian. It is, It is. I think, yeah. It's that
5: first seminal experience. And my mother always used to tease me. My family used to tease me about it as I was growing up. But it's paid off now, hasn't it? All those children that laughed at me at Palm Beach <laughs> <laughs> kindergarten. That's right. Haters. Hashtag haters. They uh, I am Sarah
1: Milliken. I am a comedian. And I had a dream last week. And I know people go like, oh, no, your dreams are awful. Everybody's dreams are awful. Um. My dream was that somebody, a member of the public, had sent me uh, the severed head... Now you're interested. (laughs) The severed head of a former Great British Bake Off contestant. (laughs) And I didn't have time to go to the police until the following day. I just carried it around in my handbag all day. Like, you know when you've got a parcel that you can't be bothered to go to the post office to post? But it was a severed head... Of a baker. That's what, that's my. Was it a specific fact. one? Yes, it was. I uh, remember because I when I woke up, I checked his Twitter account, <laughs> <laughs> and he hadn't tweeted for two days. And I thought, oh, check the post, check the post. His head is on its way to me. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie.
2: Um, I am Stephanie Beecham, and. Um Ooh, I think I'm going to go back into childhood and say that the very first time I went on stage, I didn't manage it. I fell over, couldn't remember my lines. And I think I've been making up for it ever since. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: I think you more than made up. Yes, I just, <laughs> can, I,
2: can I go? Can I go away now? Right? Yeah.
1: No, please don't go away. Uh, <laughs> have you got a question, Hannah? I do. Go um,
0: if there was... What do you really like talking about? If there was just one thing we were going to talk about tonight, what would you plump for? I'm looking at you, Deborah. Let's start there.
5: Uh, me? Yes. Well, you all get to <laughs> I, answer it, but I've just come to you first. Okay. I feel, I feel like I'm always banging on about feminism, so I probably shouldn't say that. But, but it is... I mean, just with the... With the I, listen, can we talk about feminism and Christmas? Like an even balanced, you know what I mean? Like, I just, like, I really want to talk about, I just want to have some time off. Like, I have, I've worked very hard this year, done a lot of feminism. I'd really like to talk about what I'm going to do at Christmas. But you can never let feminism go because of, you know, the world. And it's, it's not fair to women who are, lead much less good, you know, ex, sort of... Uh, lovely lives than me. So feminism is important, but could we please have some eggnog with it is all I'm saying.
1: (laughs) Oh, so So, you don't mean that you're going to have like a really misogynistic Christmas? You don't mean that?
5: (laughs) (laughs) I don't mean like to relax at Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) I basically just like to sort of, you know, listen to R. Kelly and... uh, and, and uh, do all just, the dishes just troll troll women who are doing their best uh. just watch all the kevin spacey films no. No. actually that's not fair that's not that's fair. not fair he's not no. so much of a misogynist no, that's as true, a actually. yeah just uh yeah, yeah. A terrible i mean human general human dodgy man yeah yeah. <laughs> dodgy, yeah but i mean he could be in the canon certainly um are you going to put him in a cannon? <laughs> <laughs> that is harsh. I mean, I'd like, to, I'd like to dredge up a bit of Dustin. See, the thing is, I love Dustin Hoffman films, and I love Dustin Hoffman, but lately he had a big run-in with Louis C.K. Oh, not Louis C.K., he's another one. Uh, who did he have John a run with? He had a run-in with John, John Oliver, Oliver, who's a bit of a feminist hero at the moment. Um, uh, Stephanie, do you ever... Did you? Am I allowed to ask? Am I allowed to do a cross? You am I allowed can, to yeah, say, yeah, do, you, do you know Dustin Hoffman? You know lots yes. of people. Tell us more. <laughs>
2: He didn't turn up in time to do the read-through so that Neil Simon replaced him and he was really grumpy when he did turn up not to be allowed to do it. (gasps) So it's a very small, contained, grumpy Dustin Hoffman that I (laughs) know. He's quite small anyway. (laughs) Did he in any way flirt with you or have you got any...? He was too grumpy.
1: Oh. Oh. (laughs) too grumpy to flirt <laughs> <laughs> too all... grumpy to harass yeah. oh, so
5: sad what a terrible day <laughs> you caught he him was... at a low moment where he was too, didn't pi- have the energy. too pissed off to grope he was
2: very <laughs> he was very harassing but it was of Neil Simon and it wasn't sexual
5: oh, <laughs> oh really was, how about Neil Simon was he a bit of, bit of a flirt yes
1: you can ask about all of the men, yeah. that Stephanie yeah. knows. <laughs> Prince
5: we will be here Prince all night. Charles. Yeah. <laughs> Prince Charles, you said you met him backstage. Flirt? No. Uh, disappointing.
1: <laughs> he laughed once at a really rude joke of mine, so that gave me... I just liked him a bit more. It was a really, really filthy joke that I managed to sneak onto the Royal Variety. Because <laughs> <laughs> it didn't sound rude, like, written down, and then the way I delivered it, it was fucking filthy. <laughs> Oh. and he really laughed and I was really pleased
5: <laughs> can you <laughs> tell us the joke do you remember it
1: I can't remember it it was um, but it was yeah I just remember because when you do the royal rally they're so close like they, the royals are closer than anybody else and they're, they're sort of perched up there and he properly it was a head back real <gasps> laugh
4: yeah wow but
1: then I didn't get to meet them at the end Because it was the one where uh, there was loads of demonstrations outside, so they just kind of—I like to think they put them in a van. I don't know if they put the royals in a van, but we didn't get to meet them, so I met Take That instead. I decided I was just going to launch myself at somebody I hadn't met, so I just threw myself at Take That instead. (laughs) It's good enough. It's good enough. It's not my best
3: anecdote.
4: Uh, (laughs)
1: Did you say I've I've
3: met him a few times, and my—and every time I've met him. You know, you get like that dry mouth thing, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm telling myself it was in Clarence House. I'm telling myself, D- this time, this time b- you, you're going to be fine, and you're just going to be yourself. And then, and then I, I, I <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> and my legs really start to shake. And then <laughs> someone was saying, "This is Saran Jones And I go, oh. Like, it's awful. And then they move on very quickly, and they just kind of laugh and smile at you and think, you know. You're quite weird. <laughs> quite weird. I, quite think, bizarre, I yeah. think
0: we might have to take a picture of that face so that people <laughs> yeah. listening to the podcast we'll can get the full yeah. joy of it. I
3: need the very first time that happened to me. I was on Children in Need and oh. Terry Wogan said, "Can you read the number out?" Now that wasn't part of you know any rehearsed thing that I'd done. I was on there doing "Blame It on the Boogie" in a Kangol hat. <laughs> That's by the by. <laughs> Uh, With naked men standing over them, weird. Um, And and then Rod Stewart was on after. I know, there's too many things going on here. It's falling out of me. Um, It was children in need, I know. Um, And then Terry Wogan said, can you read the number? And I went, 0800. It's awful.
0: (laughs) Jojo, what would you talk about if we could only talk about one thing?
4: Um, I would always ask people what their worst dates were. Because oh. if you are stuck uh, in conversation with people who are really boring, that is the one thing that people can always be interesting about because everybody has a horrific date story. Well, well, let's do it now, if that's Okay, what excellent. What is, have you, what is your worst then, Georgia? Well, I had about 10 years of them, so there's really too many <laughs> to remember before <laughs> I got married. But um, th- I think one of the high points was uh, a guy who stalked... This is when I had lower self-esteem. <laughs> a guy who stalked me at work, who I then agreed to go on a date with because obviously being pursued... Round your office in the small hours is always a really good way to meet somebody. <laughs> and, um, and so I went on a date with him and realised very quickly that this was just not going to happen. Went home, made my excuses, went home, and then got a phone call. I don't know how these guys got my number. From his two um, gay neighbours, elderly gay neighbours, who rang to ask me if I could come and deal with this man who was crying loudly and having hysterics in his flat next door. So I said... No, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't think I'm going to come to his house, so no, thank you very much. And they kept ringing, saying, you have to sort this out. You caused this. He's in hysteria. <gasps> what? Well, uh, yeah. And um, uh, So that was this? a good day. I did nothing. I literally, all I did was say, you know, thank you, night. I, didn't I even... knew we'd
5: end up talking about feminism.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, but that, that was, I mean, I, I could probably mull over a few more, but that was, that was a, a particularly high what point. Do you
1: think. I went out with a bloke once who... I was a writer at the time, and he said, oh, do you want to give me some of your stuff to read? And we thought it might be quite a fun thing. So I gave him some stuff to read, just some short scripts, short film scripts. And the next time I saw him, he said, oh, I was going to read them, but I don't have any opinions. So I gave him... <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, that's what he said. So I, he gave them to his mum to read. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see him again. <laughs> But at least he didn't hate me because he didn't have any
3: opinions. <laughs> that was quite odd. So, Ran, have you had any bad dates? Yes, also about 20 years of them. Because um, mm. I, met, I met my husband at Sally Lindsay's wedding, actually, and then we were married nine months later and then had a baby. So before that, years and years of them, but the very first one that, I, that really sticks out, I was in Manchester, I was in a choral group, and um, the guy who played the piano in the choral group Really beautiful, and he said, Do you want to come out on a date? And he took me to Manchester Airport to watch the planes <laughs> and then to home base to choose some paint.
1: What? Yeah. Did and you that... think you'd like fallen asleep and woken up like married <laughs> 20
3: years later? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was just the start of the 20 years. That was like, okay, I'm settling in and I'm in for a good run. And then they just got worse. As as I went along.
0: Hannah, have you had any bad dates? To be honest, I don't generally tend to do dates. I just go to the pub. (laughs) And yeah, then if it's not good, I just go home. Um, Fair enough. I I did once discover I was out with someone who their mum was my boss. And that was about the third or fourth time. And I thought, how is this not a conversation that's come up before now? And that was really weird. Mm,
3: Really weird. Is it okay to... So you're on a date. And I guess as you get older, this is you know, you have more confidence to do this, but is it okay to say within, you know, you go out for a meal and the starter comes and you just know, is it okay to politely to say, I've got to go and there's just no point in anyone paying for the rest of this because it's just not, not working?
4: You don't want to shell out for that main course.
3: I think just, you do. You don't want to sit, sit through you know, the main you're,
4: course.
2: You just say, could I have the bill, please? I'm so sorry, I've got to run. And it's would okay. You make,
4: would you make an
1: excuse? Would you say... I'm
2: just so sorry, I've got to run. Oh,
1: yeah.
4: Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have the feeling... <laughs> I think Stephanie could teach us also yeah. here. She really it, it sounds great like, coming yeah, from you. Stephanie, I just you don't say, know
5: that it would... <laughs> if you say it in Stephanie's voice, though, yes, it yes, sounds authoritative, exactly. no one would argue with that. Yeah. I think you need to teach us, because it's like, I'm so sorry, I've got to run. It's like, yes, I would not question you, Stephanie, yes. I yes. would just... That's... But I would say, oh, oh, gosh. Um, um, I, <laughs> I'll have the chicken. I, <laughs> I wouldn't bring myself to...
1: And if I I said I had to run, they would be like, you don't run anywhere.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll have the pudding as well. Fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I had the opposite of this once. This is my worst date. I went, this is the, I mean, just worst date and one of the worst nights of my life. I did an Edinburgh festival show where um, nobody showed up except, oh, it was awful, a (laughs) a journalist who'd come to review it a comedy promoter who wanted me to do his show and a mad fan who... I mean, not mad. I mean, mad is a pejorative. uh, An enthusiastic fan (laughs) who wanted me to sign his... Like, he'd got a poster of me or something and he wanted me to sign it which was so humiliating because I had to do it as I was cancelling the show. And it just, there's just nothing worse than sort of like, and nobody else came, nobody. And it was Friday night. It wasn't even like an early week show. It was just the worst moment. Anyway, the comedy branch said, well, why don't we go and have a drink? And, you know, you can tell me about what you do because obviously I'm not going to be able to see it. So I did. (laughs) (laughs) So humiliating. So we off we went to the pub and then he said, like, do you want to get dinner? And we went down to the grass market. You know, that French restaurant on the grass market. It's quite a nice restaurant. He said, oh, well, I'll take you for dinner. And, uh, and I thought, oh, he's such a sweet guy. So in we went and sat down, we got the menus, and he looked up and said, I don't think we need to go through with this, do we? I think we both know what's going to happen here. Why don't we just go back to your place? And I was like, oh, oh, I hadn't... No, I hadn't fully understood that at all. No, I thought, no, I'm married to a whole other person. And he said, I don't think that matters, does it? It is Edinburgh. Oh, my God. And I said, well, I mean, I mean, oh, oh. The I'm so sorry, Jeffing, I've Jeffing, got to run. come on, Stephanie. Definitely... <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that's true. And that's how it was a surprise date. It was like I didn't <laughs> know I was on one. But then you didn't even get a starter.
1: <laughs> sorry. That I'm so fixated was like... about holding a menu up and then shutting it again. Yeah. You only do that if you decided really quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand the idea of going in a restaurant, sitting down and then leaving. No he thought I
5: was, I'd be hungrier for... His penis than I was more. <laughs> I like
1: that, you waited like a little pause. Like, which word should I use? I did, I did. Penis. I thought, can I
5: say cock? Yes. I don't know. I feel like some of these people are more sophisticated like. than me. Yeah, I'm
0: kind of offended by the word cock, Deborah. <laughs> to be honest.
5: <laughs> um, Stephanie, what's the
1: worst date you've ever been on? No bad dates. <laughs> oh.
3: <laughs> you chose well. <laughs> <laughs> or is it or they were very short. <laughs> <laughs>
1: ask a question of what's the best and worst things
4: about your work and life
1: Jojo can I start with you what is the first off what's the worst thing about your
4: work and life can I just say this is really unfair because we just had tea and I wanged on for about an hour about <laughs> all the best and worst things about my working life and yeah, now we'll I'm going con- to have to tell fibs because I can't tell just condense trick. it down um, the best thing about my work life, I really like writing I really mm. like I like disappearing up the stairs in the morning and being able to Play God with characters and, you know, if I'm in a bad mood, I can kill people. Do you always Um, put a bra on? Do I always? (laughs) 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 Um, No, because I can't believe I'm saying this. Okay, no, I don't, because often I live in the middle of nowhere in the country and I get up literally and I put on whatever is nearest to walk the dogs and my house is so cold that the idea, once I've had breakfast and walked the dogs, of getting undressed again to put a bra on is too much for me so um, if I I can't think without a bra (laughs) (laughs) I'm
3: with you Uh, can you sleep in a bra as well oh absolutely yeah sleep in a bra yeah I'm I'm, I'm... no oh no sleep in a bra well in a crop top always something to hold them in because if I, if I don't have a bra on, I tend to, to, to hold them because I don't trust that they're don't just don't gonna okay. <laughs> <laughs> they going to be
2: okay. I don't telephone without a bra I don't know,
3: but I, I, think... I just need to know that it's like a comfort thing that yeah. I need to know. Yes, you can't
2: they're... even speak on the telephone, can you? Put your bra on, then you can make your calls. I
1: f- I, yes, yes. I find this I utterly perplexing. There's not a single thing
4: I can't do without my bra on. <laughs> but... <laughs> I feel like there's a whole world of stuff that I have to worry about that I didn't know about. Now, holding my breasts while I sleep. I just let mine... I let them flap about.
1: Sometimes they get pinched under an arm. Uh, one time, one fell on the dog's head. Yeah, I just... I, I lie back and let them,
3: you know, fill my... just warm my armpits, generally. I feel like when I'm lay on the side, and you know, like a cat... Like a cat's belly goes to one side. That's how I feel when I'm, if I don't have anything on to support them, that they just kind of like...
4: They roll. Lol.
3: Roll. long, Flop. Yeah. And I'm
4: yeah. not good with it. You see what you want to. I'm a face sleeper, so actually it's so fine. Just, you
3: lay down and it's just like. Yeah. Yeah, everything is in place and nothing is moving because yeah. it's like a little built in bed. Yeah. Maybe I've just gone on for too long with bras and crop tops and that's. I'm you're happy. Only with Monroe it. slept with a brougham.
4: Maybe you're just emulating. Maybe, probably, maybe. Yeah. Hmm? Yeah. So that's the best thing about your work in life, <laughs> I, <laughs> What is? how I got to bras from my lovely kind of uplifting thing about so loving speak. my job. <laughs> what, do you, what do you not like about your job? Uh, what do I not like? Um, travel. I mean, I, mm. I love travel and I hate it. So I love uh, seeing new places and occasionally you go somewhere that blows your mind. But the thing, you know, I'm one of these people who cries every time I leave the house because I'm convinced that it won't be there when I get back or something catastrophic will have happened to everybody. So I'm, yeah, I'm a bit pathetic and uh, it's a bit embarrassing yeah. when you get a taxi away and you sort of sniffle in the back all the way to Heathrow. Um, yeah, That's No, it's fine. It's, um, but, yeah. I, was, I don't trust people who don't miss home. Do you ever know anybody? Oh no, my that? kids send me pictures of the dog because <gasps> they know that I can cope without them. But now, <laughs> <laughs> they they know that I miss the dog. With Your a physical dog is pain. insane as well, isn't
0: he? I've seen a photograph of him. He's bigger than you. Well, yeah, she's she's fifty five oh, kilos. Sheeps. So
4: we 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 kind of we we vary on who's heaviest but um, <laughs> yeah no she's um, she's the great late unexpected yeah. love of my life
1: does I she wear a bra <laughs> um, sounds like
5: she should at 55 kilos it's hard to tell under
4: all the fur yeah um,
1: but I don't, don't think she'd notice if one of my boobs fell on her head <laughs> <laughs> she wouldn't actually she'd just run with it she'd just literally oh <laughs> well, I
4: hope she wouldn't yeah, okay. run with it <laughs>
1: Deborah, what do you? What are, what are the best and worst things about your work and life, love? Uh, my best. The best thing is that I
5: really, really, really love what I do. And uh, doing. I've done. I started a podcast a couple of years ago called The Guilty Feminist, and and I've I found I found lots of lovely people, some of whom are clearly here. Uh, I found like it's like a dialogue with lovely people, and, and it's a great privilege actually, and a great pleasure. And Sarah Millican came and did a very early. Uh, early one, I think like the fifth one ever, which gave us a huge boost um, I had a lovely time thank you. you. Well please come back, I really want you to come back and talk about your book um, and did so, you, Did anyone mention that Sarah's written a book? <laughs> <laughs> did, they sure? did you know I'd written a book? Yeah. <laughs> um, I know I want Sarah to come and talk about a book, I loved Sarah's book um, It's got a lovely recipe for cake in it actually which it made, really kind of made me laugh and it kind of also slightly moved me I had to put a bra on before I read it. It was (laughs) halfway through. I thought I need a bra for the rest of this. I I can't read on. Uh, uh, The the worst thing about it, there is no. There's you know. I feel very 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 spoiled saying there's any bad things about it. But that when you're freelance, you are never done. And I haven't had like, especially as a writer, I haven't had a period. I think I had one week, or maybe maybe two weeks. In years where all of the projects were in... Because usually what happens is... I mean, very little gets made, to be fair. But, you know, you, you have a script here that you're developing and another mm. one here overlapping. So at no time is there just a week when you're not meant to be writing anything. No-one's wanting anything from you. Now, listen, I don't write all the time. Most of the time I just disappoint people and watch <laughs> The Crown. But... <laughs> You know that you should. Do you know but what I mean? But isn't
1: that intentional? So when I first started, sort of, I, I wanted to work kind of behind the scenes in TV, and I started to send letters out to production companies to see if I could be a runner. Or and I always had more letters out than I needed to because when if it, it so if I had ten out and they all came back in again and they were all no's because you get a lot of rejections early and I was gutted. So as soon as I got a few, and I'd send more out. Yes. So I so always, always had irons
5: in the fire. So it's almost like. That's why you do it. You do it yeah. so that you don't have nothing at any point. Absolutely. And that's great. That part mm. of it's great. And it just sort of, just sort of rolls, you know, yes. once you get going and people like your stuff and, you know, you're lucky enough to get an agent, all of those things. It just rolls. But there is a weight on you. I'd sometimes my friends who have jobs, like regular jobs, proper jobs, they finish, they go, oh, I'm done on Friday and then I'm going on holidays and I'm just going to turn my Blackberry off or whatever. And they genuinely have a whole period of time where no one wants yeah. anything from them. For me, that's Christmas Eve to New Year's Day. I know that even though I have got outstanding projects, no-one's expecting anything, no-one's going to email me, and they are my most precious days of the year, genuinely, mm. because there's the the weight of expectation of your... I don't like disappointing people. I don't like feeling in the back of my mind I should be doing something even when I'm not. Um, so that part is, I find, tricky, but, I mean... Also, I'm super lucky and I feel like a complaining bitch by saying that. <laughs> You're not
1: complaining. Um, I asked you a question, you answered it.
5: <laughs> no, but you know. Uh,
1: Stephanie, what are the best and worst things about your work and life?
2: I think my working life is fantastic. I think it's the worst thing sometimes for family. Not now, because the girls are grown and it's old. But I think that when I realize that I've had a great time, but they sometimes had a hard time, actually.
1: Guilt, 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 guilt. Would you have done something different if you'd known that then or not?
2: No, I did my best. I juggled, single parent, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Did my best. Um, I think they know that. They still hate me for it, but they know (laughs) (laughs) that. It's hard, genuinely hard, I think, especially for us actresses, because we can't say, look, could somebody else just pop in and do that bit? We've got to be there. Mm. So, uh, no, my working life has been nothing but fantastic. But there's been downsides for the people around me, haven't there? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, they didn't come, did they? <laughs> <laughs> no. See?
2: And it's Christmas. <laughs>
1: I'm so sorry, but I have to go for the joke. Uh, <laughs> so that's the best thing about my work and life, <laughs> is that somebody can say something really heartfelt and then I just make a joke because I'm an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> I can't help myself. Um, I wasn't being very <laughs> serious.
5: <laughs> God.
1: Um, I, um, I think the best thing about my work and life is that I found a thing that I loved and it was quite late I was 29 when I started doing stand-up and I'm just so glad I did and I'm so glad that uh, an ex-husband went, "Mm, sick of you, because if he hadn't I might have not ever found out the thing that I think I'm good at Um, but I think the worst thing is possibly travel, a bit like you were saying Jojo, because I start a tour in January and I love the audiences and I love the theatres and I love doing my show Um, but it is not being able to get home as much as you'd like and I just wish somebody would invent magic shoes because my life would be a little bit easier if I could do that. But my, um, I've tried to FaceTime my dog and it doesn't work because apparently it's my smell he likes. So I might just leave some pants there. <laughs> and then my husband could hold the pants up when I FaceTime and that might be, I don't know, I'm going to give it a go. <laughs> I don't think
2: they see the screen. I really don't. No, I
1: think you're right.
2: Because otherwise mine would lick it. I mean, they'd be <laughs> so thrilled to see it. But it's they disappointing,
1: don't. isn't it? When you, when you like, They look around. Yeah. They hear the voice. But to be fair, when I FaceTime my mum, she does much the same. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And she, she actually once, uh, <laughs> I was FaceTiming my uh, three members of my family when I was in Australia, and uh, my mum was uh, sort of taking a back seat. It was my sister's turn to do the chatting, and I, so my mum didn't realise I could see her, and she just kept uh, looking at her watch and <laughs> doing kind of like... <laughs> <sort> of <laughs> faces. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, the dog at least doesn't do that. No, it's good. Because um, the dog hasn't got a watch.
4: Um,
3: <laughs> so, Ran, what are the best and worst things? Um, the best thing, I wasn't very good at school. So the best thing about my job is, um, I was telling you before, that I'm having immersive French lessons. And, and I've also been given um, lots of historical research to do for my next job. So every time I do a job that's kind of got research attached to it, I feel like I'm wanting to learn. Like I'm in a place at nearly 40 going, I love school and I hated school and I hated, you know, I was creative and I was at a school that was very kind of like academic, but if you, if you see things in a filmic way or visual way, then, you know, they were like, what? Um, So... I love that about my job, that I get to kind of really immerse myself in things that I would never normally, you know, just wouldn't pass me. But then the same as all the ladies have said, I'm in a very, very fortunate position to play the leads in things. But Dr. Foster and a job that is coming up, um, I mean, almost every scene. So that's like a 14 hour day and the next job lasts for seven months so even though i get time off now which is amazing and me and my son are doing you know many many christmas singalongs and things like that and i'm going to all sorts of play groups the the seven months and the theater before that will be really hard because 14 hours and kind of rushing in to, to put baby to bed or just miss it and then you get you're trying to get up at 5 and the baby's not got up till six and you're you're just you're snatching moments and the pressure of trying to be the best in those moments it's really hard and then what you end up doing is you're kind of like singing and dancing and doing all sorts of stuff and the child is going what are you doing like they don't they they kind of distance themselves and it's and, and my son also kind of just uh he's two in at the end of february when I'm not around to do bed for a week or two weeks, it's da 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 And it breaks my heart because I'm like, oh, can you come to me? No, you don't want me. Okay, that's fine. It's really hard. But then, as I said, very, very fortunate to be in the position I'm in. So, you know, it's the balance. Hmm. Absolutely. Hannah?
0: Yeah, I haven't got any complaints, really, to be honest. <laughs>
3: Is I've that because I'm here? Because yeah. I'm no. the boss. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I
0: mean, I have a good job. I get to do things like this. It's quite fun, you know. I get to... My nephew thinks I'm cool because I introduced him. To, he met Richard Osman the other day. Therefore, he thinks I'm better than his other aunts. And I'm all, <laughs>
4: I'm all for a competition
0: <laughs> in which I come ahead. Um, yeah, I was speaking to a friend of mine the other day who's self-employed, and, and she summed it up in a nutshell that the hardest thing about working from home, which we do, is, you know, there's only two problems. The first one is starting work and the second one is stopping work. Mm. And that is sometimes, yeah, difficult. I can find a a lot of things to fill my time early on before I'm like, right, let's settle down and do this. But equally, I can still have my laptop open at midnight and still be thinking of things
4: like, hey, I've had a great idea.
1: I think that's also a hazard of of loving your job. Yeah, time management. Because it doesn't feel like work Mm. most of the time. And it's hard to then go, oh, actually, you do need to have a deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I work with nice people. I, Yeah, I have a nice time most, m- the vast majority of the time.
3: Good. Thanks. Good. Mm-hmm. Do you think you could decide to switch off at 8pm 8, 8 and then get back on in the morning? No. It's tricky because my show started at 8. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. That'd be a
1: no. I don't know if the audience <laughs> members would be keen <laughs> if I just came out and waved and
5: went, I've got a clock <laughs> off now. <Yeah. laughs> It, it's Doctor, for, doctor's orders. I'm afraid. It's for my good. Yeah. <laughs> if you came out and like took your bra off and put your slippers on, <laughs> you know, you got on, you had a big sofa on the stage and you put your feet up and you did your stand up like that, like from Sarah Millican's living room. I think they might quite enjoy it.
1: I know you're saying this because it's funny, but I did once genuinely do a whole tour show in slippers. Yeah. <laughs> did you? I did a whole tour. See, the whole tour see, in slippers. I can sort of see it. I can see. And you. they had uh, bunnies ears, and I never referred to them at all. I never mentioned the fact that I had slippers on. I just wore slippers. Wore them on the DVD, didn't refer to it it was one of the best ideas I've ever had <laughs>
4: <laughs> does it, it like not to feel free? like work if you go to work with slippers on I mean I don't know why I'm saying that because I f- quite re- frequently work in my pyjamas but, um, <laughs> but it, on stage does it feel less like work if you're actually still in bed gear
5: no
1: because there's still like Oh, you know, up to 3,000 people <laughs> who've got a ticket and they're looking like, come on, bitch, make me laugh. Yeah. And I'm like, but I've got my slippers on! <laughs> they don't then go, oh, OK, you don't have to be funny. No, it's still nerve-wracking, but there's something about shuffling on that just makes me feel like the theatre is, is more a home, I suppose, than, than a big, scary venue. It makes the shows less scary, I suppose. Okay.
0: Would you... Well, you've all grown up in... Different periods. Would you like to be a young woman now, today, rather than when you were a young woman? Let's start with Jojo.
4: Would I like to be a young woman? If I was a young woman now, the first thing I would do is put on a bikini and not take it off until I was 30. (laughs) Because if I had known now how great I looked when I was 20, I would have worn that bloody bikini non-stop instead of fretting about non-existent inches of little lumps and bumps um but no no actually I'm really grateful not to be a young woman now I think it's more complicated um I think it's tougher to make your way upward in any profession than it was when I was younger I feel like the opportunities have got tougher and I feel like oh god I'm really bringing everybody down No, no I <laughs> sorry I think I think society is polarized more so I think you know I was able to kind of force my way up through bloody-mindedness and, you know, hard work. I think it is harder for people in their 20s now to do the same thing. In my profession, anyway.
5: Deborah? I would nail being 21 now. I think... All I think about sometimes is just like, man... But the thing is, what I'm imagining is knowing everything I know now Mm. and being 21. I'm not imagining being 21 now. I'm imagining just magically, like being it and sort of that exactly what you said about wearing a bikini or socializing, crossing the room, kissing boys, kissing girls. Uh, I would do it all and I would do it very differently. So, so there's parts of me that goes, yeah. Um, But in another way, I mean, and also I do think, I know there's a lot more pressure on young women. I know that millennials don't have the same job opportunities, all of that. But I do think in terms of art, the, the artists have taken control of the means of production, when I was young, you had to wait for a gatekeeper to let you have a go at anything. And now, you've got something to say, you write it up on a blog, you make a podcast, you make a YouTube video, you put it out there and you can find an audience for yourself. And... It, it, it's just not the same anymore. So, I think there are so many advantages to being young now. And mm. also, when, listen, when I went to university, I went to university in 97, no one ever talked about feminism. Feminism then was Jerry Halliwell in a Union Jack miniskirt <laughs> going, girl power. And then it was something you study. It, it had feminists had studies at the end. And then you do a special paper about Jane Austen and how serious she was. And that was it. <laughs> And now I feel like women are coming... I'd love to be 21 in the Me Too era. And, you know, I I mean, I'd hate having a Twitter account because I I wouldn't want a record of things I'd said stupidly, you know. So I think there are, honestly, as many brilliant things about being 21 now as there are terrible things. Uh, essentially I look at the future whenever I hear futurists talk about like we're going to run out of water soon and things I do think oh well hopefully I'll be dead by then (laughs) Um, so there's part of me that does does think it's true though I do think if you've if you've lived between the middle of the 20th century and the middle of the 21st century you have lived in apps in the west anyway absolute peak luxury convenience all of those things so I do think we've I've been very lucky and hopefully we'll be dead before the robots take over (laughs) <laughs> it's my dream. It's my dream to take over before to die before the robots take over and we run out of water. That's all I can ask for. <laughs> <laughs> then I th- I'll think of myself as being very blessed. <laughs> S- Stephanie, I would hate to be
2: young now, yeah, alone in my bedroom thinking I was too fat tweeting someone. I mean, it <laughs> doesn't <laughs> I think they have a miserable competitive ghastly boastful time endless facebooky <laughs> no 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 we had we we were we were just <laughs>
3: <laughs> said it yeah <laughs> beat that saran i i agree i think um i, I think communication and being alive and in um groups and kind of like for me when i was um in like theater situations and boys and girls chatting and banter and and the fun of being with the opposite sex and with each other and i i just hope that that isn't lost completely because we're so aware of the harassment cases and 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 you know, how, how the opposite sex should to be with each other or same sex should be with each other. And I and I, I fear that people don't know how to communicate. Now whether that's because of social media, I don't know. But I just hope that isn't lost because I remember the fun of being young and being in those groups and, and, and getting to know each other. And I and I I would probably hate to be twenty one also now. Mm.
1: Sarah? I think if I if I thought about younger than twenty one, I think um I think being bullied is very different these days to how it was when I was a kid. So I was bullied at school, kinda of verbally bullied and um and then I'd get home and uh we'd shut the big heavy we had a big heavy front door and I'd shut the big heavy front door and then I was safe and protected until like eight thirty the following morning until I went off again and put my culottes on and my flip-up sunglasses (laughs) and my seventh perm (laughs) to face the world. Um, And I think now, the idea of constantly being contacted Mm. or sort of Twitter and all the social medias, but also just somebody being able to text you horrible things or just not having any of that, having a landline that you had to ask permission to use.
4: Mm. Mm.
1: And who's going to, like, ring you to call, like you didn't get rung up to call your names, you names know, yeah. so it, it just, it was so school based and then when you were out of school you were safe and I was, you know, tap dancing at home and full of confidence and having you know, writing poems and reading poems and being applauded by my parents it's sort of their fault that I'm doing <laughs> this now as a job <laughs> And then going into school and being quiet as a mouse again. And I just don't know that the uh, the other half of me, the confident half of me, would have survived if social media and mm. mobile yeah. phones and emails and things had existed. Yeah. When I was a kid. Anna?
0: Um, no, I don't I don't think so. I mean, from from the point of view of I got into journalism because I worked at a local newspaper, which was a very good training ground for um for journalism but also as a a probably one of the only access routes into journalism for people who didn't live in london and people who were from working class backgrounds and for a lot of women and that doesn't really exist anymore so i don't think i think the avenue to me being a journalist would have been shut off were i sitting there now wanting to do that um i think that's probably the case in a lot of the arts as well um yeah, and I certainly wouldn't be able to afford to buy a house. Unfortunately, <laughs> I bought a house when it was when Northern Rock was still giving you ten times uh, your wages. <laughs> um, <laughs>
1: Hooray!
0: <laughs> so um, no, I, I I don't I don't think. I mean, I can see the positives, like Deborah said about the sort of the, the removal of the because we we make a podcast and, and nobody tells us what to put on it. We can just nope. do it and we can say what we like. And that didn't exist when I was younger. That would hmm. that wouldn't have existed. So
5: also, can I just say because I just feel I should that. Um Friends of mine who were gay when I was young, where in Australia it was illegal, uh, now look at young people who feel they can come out as teenagers. Yeah. Uh, also, young people of colour can find their community and find some status in that community in a time when perhaps they were marginalised. Also, of course, there's awful online gay bullying and online online bullying of gay people and queer people and online bullying um, of people of colour. But there is a sort of empowerment as well mm. in finding each other, finding your tribe. And mm. I think that's important to <laughs> say. very
1: true. Mm. Can I ask you all, what is the best thing
5: about getting older, Deborah? <laughs> I don't care as much. I don't care as much. I just don't, I don't care about what other people think as much. Uh, I f- I'm more confident in my own opinions. Um, and I, I don't need people to like me as much. When I was younger, I suffered <laughs> deeply from if someone else didn't like me I would try and fix that like yes. it was a problem like it was a now I don't think it's a problem I'm just like oh well like not everyone can like you mm. you know and not everyone's going to love you and not everyone's going to agree with you and that's okay I mean I still get involved in the odd twitter row but most of the time I can just go okay well you're different from me and it's okay and there's a great peace in that um also, I don't think my libido is quite, you know, as multi-directional anymore. Uh-oh. Multi-directional, do you know what I mean? I think I used She did it in all of the rooms of the house. <laughs> this is probably again something I probably shouldn't say online, but oh fuck, I've said so many different things online. But it, it just, I think I used to like, I'd meet a boy. The, oh, he's cute, and he's cute, and he's cute, and he's cute, and they're cute in all directions. And now I fancy many fewer people, and that's relaxing. <laughs>
1: be exhausting if you wait <laughs> if you it wait is, yeah. it's
2: really delightful when the whole thing has nearly toned itself completely down. <laughs> <everywhere. laughs> you just you like a different quality of person you like them for their humor their brain their wit their kindness you're not just interested in their ass and their shoulders seriously it's a joy
1: is that is that the best thing about getting older yeah I think?
2: you're not completely uh driven by genitals <laughs> your sex drive hmm. yeah yeah i mean that we do some appalling things and it also has some very nasty emotions that go with it jealousy possessiveness it's so lovely to be older and and feel happy and, and enjoy lots of people in a in a more
4: <laughs> I, know, I, know.
3: I do know how
1: <laughs>
3: thank you saran i'm i'm 40 next and i my husband also says uh, you wait, you wait. You'll care less. You'll care less, and you know your anxiety will go. Although he can be quite anxious at times when he's saying this, um, I, I'm yet to, I'm yet to get there, and I'm, I'm hoping it will happen. But I care, and I, and it, it's such a waste of time. Not, not caring. <laughs> Caring is good, but um, just kind of like uh, mulling things over and getting anxious and getting wound up and overthinking things and being overwhelmed by things and the nervousness and the anxiety and the thinking, oh, will they like me? Have I said the right thing? Have I done the right thing? Should so I... She's
4: we really like you. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're sorry. Yeah. Anxious <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go around and ask
3: everybody. The anxiety. Um, and I, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm just waiting for, it, for that to lift. And if you say it will, then I will trust it will. you. It will. Yeah, but I'm nearly well, you 40. you have a so little five
2: soon. years of menopause to go through, sweetheart. Yes.
3: <laughs> and I can't That's wait That's a treasure. Yes, yeah.
1: <laughs> when, I, when my mum went through her menopause, the doctor said to expect some spottin. So my mum said, should I buy some clear <laughs> <laughs>
4: Giorgio, what do you like about getting older, love? Um, Well, what Deborah said about actually giving fewer fucks. uh, There are no fucks left on my shelf, frankly. (laughs) Not interested. Uh, I'm sorry about the swearing. But actually, no, I don't care about the swearing. I have no fucks left to give. I also really like soft furnishings. That's quite pleasurable. (laughs) I also like big pants. I like the freedom that comes with big pants and being unembarrassed about wearing them. I'm not wearing them now, obviously, I'm wearing kind of amazing lingerie, but. um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The thing, can I just add something that I really dislike about getting old? And that is not being able to see anything. And if you travel a lot and you're in a strange hotel bathroom, trying to tell what is the shampoo and what is the conditioner and what is the body lotion, because the number of times I've washed my hair with bloody body lotion (laughs) is frankly really annoying. And, um, yeah, so that's something I'd like to add to the worst bit. (laughs) (laughs) Hannah?
0: Yeah, I'm... I'm in the fewer fucks category. Obviously, I mean there are some there are some downsides. Like you say, with me, it's that eventually I will get shorter and then I will just disappear.
4: <laughs> um, oh, oh! Can we just add to that the words vaginal atrophy? That's really okay, worrying. Okay, no,
0: no, no, no. <laughs>
5: <laughs> What's I'm that? I'm just going
0: to pretend that I never heard that. Well, don't Boy, is Google
5: it. it. What's vaginal atrophy? No, I need to know. You can't just say don't Google it. (laughs) Well, when you maybe don't Google image it. Don't. What? How does everyone else know? I don't know. What is it? What is it? it? It's.
1: Is it?
2: Reminder: This has been recorded. This has been recorded. (laughs) Reminder. Thank
5: you.
4: It's
1: a male myth.
3: That's a myth. I'm going to believe
4: the person in the audience. Yeah, I choose to believe. It's a myth.
3: Okay. Someone someone shouting. It's a a male myth. What is it?
1: Could Instead, we have a vaginal trophy.
3: Yes
0: but yeah all the women in my in my family just get smaller and smaller and smaller my auntie kit now who's like 80 she's at a level basically when you knock on the door she's able to open the post box <laughs> no. the letterbox and just look through it Thank you. and that's eventually how little i'm going to end up being. but yeah
3: can I go back to the fewer fucks? Like, when when did it happen? When does it happen? No, no, because no, I'm, I'm in a... Six you've got. About 46, it, yeah, 45. 46. Oh, okay, because
1: oh. I'm a similar... I'm 42, yeah. and I'm, I'm more in your camp than I am in these guys. Yeah. I want to not care, but still care. Want to disregard people's opinions of what... Sort of negative opinions, I suppose, of, of what I look like, and I can't. Yeah. But I don't disregard them... So if somebody sends me mean messages about what I look like, it hurts, but it doesn't hurt enough for me to do anything about it. Um, So I think I'm still
4: creeping towards the good stuff, but I'm not there yet. So 45, 46, do you think? I reckon 46. I mean, by 48, most mornings I just wake up and think, oh, everyone can just do one.
5: (laughs) Can I I throw in something that Brené Brown said that I think was the wisest thing I ever heard and it's really helped me. So Brené Brown said, um, when people say, I don't give a shit what anyone thinks, she said, that's not true unless you're a sociopath. We are wired to mm-hmm. care what other people think. Mm. But what she said is, it, of course we have to care what other people think as part of a society. But she said, whose opinion do you mm. care about? That's it. And she said, when she first did a TED Talk, she didn't even realise it was being recorded or anything. She hadn't got it. It was the first days of TED. And she said it went viral. And then she, her husband said, do not look at the comments. And of course she, she did. She looks... um, it was lots of horrible things about her appearance and what did she know and all of this sort of stuff. And it, she said she just went into... She said, I just watched Downton Abbey for a whole day and then just started Googling trips to Downton Abbey as a sort of escape. She said <laughs> she just couldn't... She said, I just became obsessed with that and just like, really upset her. And then what she worked out is... Um, and this is her specialty about happiness and gratitude and stuff. She said, um, you need to get like a board of directors, people's opinion you care about. She mm-hmm. said, get a square inch of paper... And put on that paper the opinions, or the names of the pe- people with opinions you care about. And if you need more than a square inch, you need too much paper. And I think I have now a board of directors for stand-up, which you're on, Sarah. Oh, you're on my square so. inch. Uh, you know, I'd have I'd have another square inch of paper for screenwriting, another for sort of living my life, my morality. What am I doing? Am I being a nice person? Because there are other people who know me better and connected into that. So I've got various square inches, which is a bit of a Breno Brown sheet, but I think it's fine. Um. Um, and I think that's really helped me because if do I really care what this horrible person on Twitter is saying about my appearance? Why are they saying that? They don't know me, so 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 I have to question that. But the people who love me, does my husband love the way I look? Yes. Does he think I'm very sexy? Yes. Is he on my paper? Yes, he's in the centre of my paper for how I look.
4: Whoever yeah. it is that loves you I'd like you on my paper, please, Stephanie. Oh, <laughs> Stephanie yeah. Stephanie
5: should be on all our papers. Yours yes. 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 The great enough. thing about getting
2: just that tiny bit older is you've lost the paper and you can't remember <laughs> where you put it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Even though I think we could talk for several more hours, um, we do have to uh, wrap things up. Um, What I'd like to do is... uh, No, no, we genuinely do, because we'll we'll all get thrown out of the theatre. I would like to go along the line and see if anybody has anything they'd like to plug. Deborah,
5: what do you have to plug that you could tell these lovely people and our podcast listeners? Um, uh, So I do a podcast called The Guilty Feminist, which is at (laughs) guiltyfeminist.com. Um, And I have a podcast called Global Pillage, which is globalpillage.net. And I would love you to listen to both uh, or either of those. Thank you.
4: Jojo, I have a book out, a paperback book out at the moment called Paris for One, which is short stories, very easy to read on the tube. Um, And then I have my new book, uh, Still Me, which is the third book in the Me Before You series, which is out in January. Oh, thank you.
3: (laughs) you (laughs) Saran? Um, I... Um, Sky Atlantic um, in January, I'm um, doing um, a brilliant programme written by Lenny James and starring Lenny James um, and it's a beautiful story and an amazing young ensemble cast um, and it's called Save Me and then I'm going to be in theatre at the Haymarket, um, a play called Frozen written by Bryony Lavery with Jason Watkins and Nina Sosiana, and tickets are on sale now. And when, when are you speaking French? What is that? Are we out um, to know May what May to that December. Is? Next year, it's a Sally Wainwright project. <gasps> and it's about an amazing Ooh. woman. I know. Um, this amazing woman called Anne Lister. Does anyone know about Ann Lister? Have I got time quickly to just uh, yes. say? Please she, tell us. She's brilliant. Um, so, uh, she's from Halifax. And <gasps> she is, um, she wrote these diaries. Um, we Our show starts in 1832. And she left four million, no, no nearly close to five million words. Um, and um, she was uh, um, a gay woman who sunk her own coal pits because she thought, fuck it, all those men want um, money from me, so I'm going to find out how to do it myself. And then she married um, the landowner, the lady landowner, next door because they were in love, and they went to a church, um, and they got married. It's a fantastic story. 1832? uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was she was amazing. Have a Google later. Annister. And this is, a, is this is a telly thing? Yeah, yeah. Sally tried to get it away for 20 years, um, and only now has she managed to get it away because oh. the story was hidden, um, and um, it was uncovered uh, in the 90s um, properly. And yes, she's been because it's a period drama, and our history, kind of, you know, Downton Abbey doesn't support the story of this woman, um, even Shipton Hall. Didn't really kind of have her um, uh, at the forefront of uh, because it's still there, Shipton Hall. And now they have a portrait up and they celebrate it and they have gay weddings there. And um, yeah, God, she's just fascinating. And that's the research I'm doing—the five million words of this diary. And um, oh, what did Sally say uh, the other day? She's uh, because she she wrote a lot in code, and um, obviously all the naughty bits are in code. So it's. yeah, I, I'll I'll think of oh the Rosetta Stone of lesbian life. Yeah. Oh, Basically. nice! Basically, yeah, it'd wow. be great. So yeah, so that's next year, and that'll be on in two thousand and nineteen. It's two thousand and eighteen next year. Two thousand, oh, yeah. it'll be on in two thousand and nineteen. <laughs> BBC and HBO.
1: Thank yeah. you, Stephanie. Do you have anything to plug? Uh,
2: look out for Real Marigold Hotel and have a very happy Christmas. Wow. Wow.
1: <laughs> Should we plug our next events? Yeah.
0: Well, it, for those people who don't listen to the Standard Issue podcast, you should just listen to the Standard mm. Issue podcast and don't make me say it again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Harsh. Uh, yeah, we've, uh, it's January sold out.
1: January is... Jen, is January sold out?
0: Nearly. Nearly. So you, uh, might, you have possibly, possibly seconds left to buy tickets. And
1: that is uh, Jennifer, Jennifer Saunders. Jennifer
0: Joe Wiley, <gasps> Joe Caulfield. Yes. Joe, Joe, Joe. Yeah, we have oh, yeah. a gig in Cambridge as well, which is currently Liz Carr, the um, uh, activist and actress, and uh, the playwright and poet Holly McNish, um, and, and somebody else to be announced.
1: And February here is uh, Roisin Connolly, Izzy Sooty, and Bridget Christie. Just like the holy trinity of female yeah. comics. Uh, and um, and I have, I don't know if I've mentioned it, but <laughs> I wrote a book. Uh, <laughs> uh, I wrote an autobiography with self-help tips called How to Be Champion. Uh, if you like that sort of thing, if you like me, you might like that. And my tour starts, Control Enthusiast starts on the 13th of January and continues through the entire yeah, and I'm excited. And wow. I won't be wearing slippers. I promise I'll wear actual shoes this time. <laughs> uh, they will look like slippers, but they will be outdoor friendly. Um, thank you so much for coming. It, I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. I hope you guys have too. And please join me in thanking our incredible lineup that we've had: Saran Jones, and Jojo Moyes, Deborah Francis White, Stephanie Beacham, Hannah Delaney, and i think Terri.
5: That's all for this week. Thanks
0: very much to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre, to Maddie Hickish for being excellent, just in general, to Jen Offord for organising everything, to all our guests, Stephanie Beecham, Saran Jones, Jojo Moyes and Deborah Frances white and to everyone who turned up and made it such a fantastic evening. If you enjoyed listening to this, good news is you can't well you can't come to this event again obviously unless you build a time machine and to be honest if you built a time machine there might be better ways to use it considering this podcast does exist but you can get in for some tickets for some other shows we've got one in Cambridge with Liz Carr and Holly McNish we've got one coming up in February which is Bridget Christie, Izzy Sutty and Rosheen Conaty I fucking know doesn't that sound great and then there's loads of other great guests lined up Ruth Jones, Fern Britton, Gemma Whelan, Lucy Mangan, loads of great people. So get on to Sarah's website, uk. Our music was composed and recorded by Barry Hilton, all rights reserved. Thanks very much for listening. Until next time.
4: Standard issue for all women.